a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 141 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guys say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and paths leading to success in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. And please share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. I'm here again at the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in my basement office in Burnsville, Minnesota. And as a broadcaster of spring sports in Minnesota, when I say that, mainly baseball, softball, and lacrosse, you are very often at the mercy of the weatherman. There is almost always snow on the ground through March here, and as it stands right now, there's snow on the ground at this very moment on April 8th. And with that in mind, we get a pretty nice break at the end of winter sports towards the end of March and the start of the spring schedule. And I was recently able to take advantage of that by taking a a little vacation. My younger sister and I went to southern Utah and northern Arizona, and we made a big loop of national parks where we went on some of the most uh, stunning hiking trails in the country, and it was a phenomenal getaway and a nice reminder that when you get a chance to recharge, it's usually a good idea to take it. If you're listening to this on time, our spring schedule is supposed to start next week. Uh, if the weather allows, uh, it's there's still snow on the ground, as I mentioned right now, and it's supposed to be rainy all next week. So we'll see uh, what gets in and what does not. But either way, I'll have a little bit of a better broadcast update over the next few weeks than I do uh, for this show. But just because my intro isn't very good doesn't mean that our guest is not phenomenal. Uh, this week's guest is a broadcaster that I've had on my list for a while but for whatever reason, I just never got around to properly contacting him. Adam Young is my guest today. He is a native of St. Louis, currently the TV voice and director of broadcasting at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And Adam, thanks so much for giving a little of your time to join the Say the Damn Score podcast. Perfect, Logan. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to this podcast for years and uh, happy to be a guest here today. What if I said I had a quiz ready for you on past episodes that you have to you have to answer correctly to continue? I think I would actually pass. I'm serious. I listen to every single episode, so I think I'd get a B maybe, maybe an A. I don't know, but I wasn't great in school, so this is why I'm in <laughs> sports casting now, so who knows? Yeah, well, there's no quiz. I'd I'm not smart enough to come up with a quiz. My wife is the yeah. teacher. That's why I'm in sports casting too. You know, we have you on the show because I have paid attention to your work. I think we know a lot of the same people and I've just continued to kind of hear and see your name in conversations and I'm like, I think he would be a phenomenal guest. And so director of broadcasting, what exactly does that mean? Well, Logan, it's a fancy title for somebody who just does a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I'm at, I'm at a mid-major, so our staff isn't big at our property. Uh, we are a Learfield property, which is great. That's one of the great things about this job is I get to work for a company that I have so much respect for, and I think so many broadcasters would love to work for. So um, that's huge in my career is I get to work for Learfield, and I do a lot of stuff. I'm our TV boys, so I do our football, our men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, baseball and softball on television. I host our radio and TV coaches shows. I'm our baseball play-by-play broadcaster. I do women's basketball um, on the radio as well. I do volleyball on the radio. 
I do all of our content and then I do all of our scheduling as well. And then I coordinate with Learfield as far as our radio network is concerned. So kind of a jack of all trades deal. Uh, I got my start, Logan, in professional baseball. So I'm used to this. You just wear a lot of different hats and the on air part is something that I, of course, really, really enjoy. But in order to be full time, have salary and benefits and be able to make a living doing this, you kind of have to do a little more than just the play by play part of it. So um, really enjoying my time here. I've been here for seven years now and um, it, it's a great place. The teams win a lot. It's a beautiful part of the country. And like I said earlier, too, I'm, I'm blessed to work for Learfield. That's a big part of this. You kind of just led into this and I wanted to talk about this before we dive into some of the nitty-gritty stuff. I know New Mexico State was just in the NCAA tournament, but as the person who does TV, I'm going to guess you got boxed out of coverage. Were you able to go and be part of the tournament coverage, help out with the radio broadcast? Uh, did you have any involvement uh, with the New Mexico State Aggies in the March Madness festivities? Yeah, it's interesting how that works. Um, I was actually here doing television on, on baseball and softball. So, um, you know, right when the conference tournament ended for me and I was in Las Vegas doing our women's basketball radio and also doing uh, television for the conference for the WAC for ESPN Plus for a number of games at the championships. And right when that ended, I came back and, and started spring sports again. And um, I was actually already doing spring sports before basketball season was over. So, uh, I, I was following along from here, uh, which was tough. I mean, um, you get to cover the team all year and get close with the players and the staff. And, you know, I host our, our radio coaches show as well with our former head coach now, Chris Jans, who just took the Mississippi State job. Uh, so you get really close to these guys. And then when it becomes the biggest games of the season, you kind of have to watch from afar. But uh, it was a heck of a run. It was really great for our athletics department. Uh, like I said, we just made a coaching change in basketball because our head coach got a bigger job. He, got, he went to Mississippi State, so we just made a new hire yesterday. And, um, you know, the teams win a lot here. Basketball wins a lot. Basketball is a huge deal. And if you had to box me in and say, what's your favorite sport? Growing up, it was basketball. So I'd probably say my favorite sport to call is basketball. And the program has won 23-plus, I believe, every single season I've been here. And, and the crowds are great, so – it makes my job a whole lot easier in television. So what's your relationship with your guy who does the radio games? Because he was probably down there. And as director of broadcasting, do you facilitate his – I mean, the schedule is what the what the team sets, but do you guys have to work together at all? Or is it here's kind of your deal, go do it, here's mine, and we keep separate? Yeah, Jack Nixon's been great. He's been the uh, radio voice here on men's basketball and football for – 40-plus years. I think he's one of the longest-tenured FBS radio voices around the country. And uh, Learfield's great to work with. So, um, you know, when you're at a property like Learfield, there isn't a whole lot you have to do from the property side of things because a lot of it is handled in Jefferson City and or Plano. Um, they do a great job with our network. I think we're on about nine or ten stations on the radio network. And, um, you know, a lot of the scheduling we'll handle internally, um, especially on the television side of things. We have a, a unique setup here where we have our own in-house television on linear TV on Valley Sports Arizona and on ESPN Plus. So uh, that's a unique setup where we have our own television truck and um, we have a great relationship with those regional cable partners and uh, we're able to do our television in-house. So. Honestly, a lot of my director of broadcasting responsibilities at this particular property is is more so television than radio, just because um, we handle more television-wise than I'd probably say 90% of the properties around Learfield. Why do you love sportscasting? What about the profession is it really that draws you in and has you, you know, kind of put up with the downsides of the industry in order to do what what you love what is the part of the industry that you love and why that's a good question logan i kind of knew this one was probably going to come as well so i was a little <laughs> bit prepared for it i knew i wanted to do this when i was a kid i just i just love sports and um when i was a kid probably sixth grade i was in middle school and was infatuated with sports and wanted to have a microphone in my hand and 
you know, I was the guy who was doing the starting lineups in my sister's middle school basketball games and making the announcements and um, always knew I wanted to do this, Logan, but you don't know how to navigate the path. I go, I went to high school and it took a couple of years before I really thought about, okay, this is what my future is going to be. And then when you get to be a senior in high school, then you have to make a decision on college. And I chose a smaller university that at the time was division two, and it was only about 50 minutes from home. And I was just looking for a place that would get me on the air right away. And I just wanted to get reps and I wasn't scared about that early on, about not being very good. And I've always been somebody who wanted to work at it to be the best I could possibly be. And early on, I I didn't know if it was going to be play-by-play or anchoring or reporting, but the play-by-play part of this, the unscripted um, part of this really, really drew me in early. And I love preparing for a broadcast. I think that's maybe my most favorite part about this is just getting ready for a broadcast and, the game's the easy part. If, if you prepare properly the three hours at a baseball game or the two hours at a basketball game, that's the easy part. The hard part is preparing and being ready and making sure that you're ready for any possible situation that could come up during the course of the game. And I tell young broadcasters all the time, this is not just flipping the switch and, and hopping in the chair and, and talking during the game. This is the hours that you spend leading up to the game that really makes the difference because there's a lot of people that want to do this. And a lot of people, you know, feel like you just go straight to the highest of levels, but the grind is, is, is the hard part, you know, the grind of working in minor league baseball, or in my case, I worked in independent baseball for four years and the lower levels of college athletics and uh, to get to where you want to get to. And, you know, I think I have the same goals that a lot of us have. I just want to call the games at the highest of levels. And, um, takes a lot of work to get there, but it's a whole lot of fun when you're on the mic. What do you tell people when they come up to you, uh, people outside of the business, and they're like, I, I can't believe you're able to do this. How do you remember everything? How, how do you get all the names so fast? Uh, it's got to the point because, I mean, it's probably somewhat mean, but I, I started making up different stories, you know, where I'll just <laughs> tell people I have a photographic memory or um, – that I have someone with a microphone in my ear or just kind of different things before I tell them the real answer that it's just all in the prep. Uh, do you, what is your answer when people talk to you like that? Yeah, I don't come up with those stories, Logan. You're, you're a little better than I am. Um, you know, I, I think I just tell them it, it's all about the prep and the work you put in leading up to it. Uh, it it's the behind the scenes stuff that nobody sees. They see you calling the game. They don't see you grinding at 2 a.m getting ready for a broadcast and I think I'm no different than most um you know I I love the prep part of it I love doing spotting charts I love finding the nuggets and over time because early on I was the same way but I felt like everything I got leading up to the broadcast I had to squeeze in and now as I've done this for 10 plus years out of college I'm at the point now where I understand it's okay not to use everything you have. You don't always have to try to sound like you're the smartest person in the room. And I also found out too, Logan, that over time, because I think all of us, especially early on, take this so serious. And I've gotten advice before from, from older broadcasters and people that I really respect that say, Hey man, in the grand scheme of things, like you're not doing brain surgery. This isn't a huge deal. Like it's a game. So have some fun with it. And I even do that sometimes on my, spotting chart or my baseball scorebook, I'll just write on the top, have fun, because we get to call games for a living. I mean, what's better than that? I mean, and we get paid to do it. So uh, I have to remind myself sometimes, too, that it's not all that serious. Let's have some fun, and uh, let's enjoy what we're doing, because a lot of people, in all of our cases, would love to be in our shoes where we're at and, and to do the games that we get to do. What is your thought process in deciding what to use in your broadcast and what not to? Do you have anything that's pre-planned, or is it all based on game context? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, I probably use 10 to 15% of, of what I'm preparing for. But over time, I know for sure I've prepared smarter. I understand now what I need and what I don't need. I, I think – Early on in my career, Logan, I was just trying to fit as much on a spotting board as I possibly could. But 
recently it's like, okay, do you really need this? Do you really need to dig for that? Um, and, and now I know what I'm looking for. And my spotting charts are my own style. Everybody does it different. Yeah, I get young broadcasters all the time reaching out to me saying, what do you put on your spotting charts? What do you color coordinate? What document do you use? And I love sharing my thoughts and my ideas and how I do it. But I always remind them, Logan, that everybody does it differently. Like this works for me, but it might not work for you. So over time, I've developed a routine. I know exactly what I'm looking for during the course of a week, for example, for a football broadcast or television. I know what I need to have done by Sunday, by Monday, by Tuesday. It's, you develop a routine over time for all these sports, and you know exactly what you're looking for. And, you know, spotting boards and all those types of things are, are very, very important to being comfortable, too. I, I mean, that's a big part of this is being comfortable when you're on the air. I, I hate to see younger broadcasters with sheets of paper all over the place, and they're looking for that statistic, and they know they have it, but they can't find it in their pile of papers. And <laughs> for me, everything I need, Logan, is right in front of my face, and I know exactly where it's at. And uh, my spotting charts, I do color code them, and I know exactly what each color means. It has a purpose. It has a meaning, and uh, that helps me feel comfortable. I, I think it's a safety net more than anything. I've had people say before that work with me, do you even really look down at your, your spotting charts all that often? And to be honest, during the course of the game, I try not to. I'll obviously look down when I need something and I know where it's at, but it's a safety net for me. I feel comfortable when I'm holding a spotting board and when it has a lot of information in there and, and I know that I'm prepared and I'm ready to go. So specifically beyond how you create your board, if you have what you think is a great nugget, so I'm going to use the example, the girls' basketball team that I cover, uh, their, one of their players is the daughter of a football coach in their conference in another town. When those two teams play, I know I'm going to squeeze that in somewhere. It's kind of a little bit pre-planned. But the fact that she shoots 33% from three-point line and is fifth in the conference or whatever it might be, that may or may not get in depending on context. How do you decide what gets into the broadcast and what's left on the cutting room floor for another day? I think it's feel more than anything, and that's really hard early on because the game moves fast. You're trying to make sure that if you're doing the game on radio, you're giving the score and the time often, and there's so much rushing through your head. But I think most of us older broadcasters that have been doing this for a little bit now we're at the point where the game kind of comes to us. We're more comfortable. We're comfortable with our pacing, with our cadence, and those types of things. And you feel when it's the right moment. Uh, for example, we had a women's basketball broadcast this year where a player on the opposing team was an all-conference player in a different league in a different sport. And she was playing her final year of college athletics on the basketball floor. And I had so much information on her, and I was ready to – fire it all off. And she was averaging, I think, 13 points per game. So she was one of their best players. Well, she didn't do anything. And the ball wasn't in her hands much. And it just, it never felt like the right moment. And 21-year-old me, Logan, would have forced it in. And I don't know where I was going to put it in, but you better believe if I was doing all this research, I was going to get that thing in there. And I got done with the broadcast and I looked down at my notes, because I always do at the end and just kind of scan them just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. And and that that eats us up as broadcasters. If we had something and, and it was, you know, usable at, at some point during the broadcast. And I looked down at my notes on this player and I said, you know what? There just wasn't a spot for it. And I told my wife and God bless my wife. She is one of my biggest fans. She watches and listens to every broadcast and she was a college athlete. So she gets what I do. And uh, I told her after I said, this particular player, I just felt like I couldn't get the story in. And you saw me last night scattering all these newspaper articles and doing all this research. And she said, yeah, she just didn't play very well. And there just wasn't a spot for it. So that shows growth over time. You mature as a broadcaster. And it's common for young broadcasters to try to get in everything that they prepare for. But at this point in my career, I feel like it's a feel thing more than anything. I, I can feel when when I need to, to get it in there. And sometimes you don't have to get it in there early in the game. You have to wait for the moment. And if the moment doesn't come, it, it is what it is. You did the research. You did the work behind the scenes. And 
sometimes there just wasn't a spot for it. One of the things I find myself debating on, you know, what to do now is I'm pretty comfortable on what prep I want to get in, what prep I don't. I just wanted to hear your answer, but it's repeating the same story in multiple games. So how do you balance the fact that, you know, probably 40 to 50% of your audience is new each week or whatever the percentage is, how often do you give the same story in a different broadcast? I typically will not give the same story, Logan, but I will repeat storyline. So um, let's say the Aggies had won six of their previous seven. That's going to get repeated probably three or four times during the course of the game. But if there's a specific background story on somebody's, nephew or somebody's parent or something along those lines, I'm probably not going to repeat it during the course of a broadcast. Now, the hard part is, and I dealt with this because I was the lead voice of a pro team on the baseball side of things for four years. Some of those people are tuning in and out, and some of those folks are with you the entire year, listening to every single broadcast, pitch for pitch, if they have some sort of a relationship with one of the players, if it's a son or um, you know, a brother or a friend or something. So that was really hard is trying to figure out, okay, am I repeating myself too much talking about Bobby Jones's story? Once again, like at some point, these fans are going to be like, I understand he was a fourth round pick and he got released a year ago by the race. How often do you tell that story? If you're with somebody for 96 nights out of the year, um, that was hard. Um, to try to get fresh information every single night when you're on the air for three plus hours and you're doing this seven days a week for four or five months. Um, but as far as like one broadcast is concerned, I, I probably will not repeat a story, but I, I might repeat a nugget. Um, for example, we had a, a baseball player in our league last year by the name of Jacob Wilson and his dad's Jack Wilson, who played, I think it was 12 or 13 years in the big leagues. And, at least twice when he was coming up to bat, I repeated myself that he is the son of Jack Wilson because you do have people tuning in and out. But if it's a longer length story, Logan, I try to stay away from saying it multiple times during the course of a game. Yeah. So what I kind of had in mind when I say that is there was a, a player that I cover who was a goalie on the hockey team and he was also the football kicker. And uh, mm-hmm. once, once probably every other game or so, I just mentioned, Oh yeah, the goaltender. You know, also the kicker on the football team, and I'd say it in one game and then not the next game, and then I, I don't necessarily have a system, but as you said, there's kind of a feel for not saying it too much from your home audience, but still getting it in for the away audience, for lack of a better word. I get that, and I think game to game it's okay. Yeah, I, I certainly do, and, and I'm dealing with the same thing right now, doing a baseball season, and college isn't as long as as pro ball, but you have all this information and you get a lot of it out in that first week. Right. And uh, when do you bring that back um, to talk about a guy's junior college career before he transferred here? And I try to keep my broadcasts as fresh as possible. And you have to understand that um, while there are some people that are listening pretty much every single game, because a family member might play on the team, it is a new audience. So you don't want to get stale and you don't want to just be saying up to bat comes, Brandon Dieter, you, you want to talk about his background a little bit. It remind folks that he transferred in from Stanford. He's from Covina, California, and he was a two-way player at Stanford. And that background information is okay. Um, but it's it, there's a fine line whenever you're doing the same team daily or, in this case, for college baseball, three times during the course of a weekend. Then you have a midweek game as well. And uh, that, that's hard to figure out. I, I dealt with that early on in my pro career when I was doing pro baseball and that was, that was troublesome for me early on in my career trying to figure out how often do you repeat this stuff during the course of the season? Yeah. You have to not let it become, Hey, did you know that Antonio Gates also played basketball at a certain point? Right. It goes uh, beyond a nugget to where it's common knowledge, but I don't know. That's one of the things I find myself thinking about here over the, the last few weeks. But one of the things that I found interesting about you and one of the trends that I've seen in a lot of successful broadcasters as you as a St. Louis native were able to get involved 
in radio in high school. It looked like at the age of 17. It seems like a lot of the people who have climbed fast in the industry were able to do that and have that focus and knowing what they wanted to do from a young age. It obviously makes sense. You're getting reps at a younger age ahead of when most people start. But uh, what was that experience like and how did it help you? Well, the story behind that, Logan, is when I was in high school and I was a senior, I was looking at colleges and I was looking at specific radio programs, which most of us did at that age. And I found Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, which was only 45 or 50 minutes away from my hometown. They had a really good history of college radio. And they had a unique deal there, and they might still have it to this day, where they had credentials to the St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Louis Blues. And at the time, the St. Louis Rams were in St. Louis as well. And I said, you know what? I feel like this could be a really good networking opportunity. And I met with the news director and the general manager of the student radio station, which just happened to be a 50,000-watt jazz station in St. Louis that was housed in the basement of the Mass Communications Building on campus. And I met with them late in my uh, senior year of high school and told them my interest and said, I want to work in sports. I don't know yet if I want to do play-by-play. Don't know yet if I want to be an anchor or reporter. And they said, how about this? You can come work for us during the summer going into your freshman year of college before you're even enrolled in school, and we'll get you on the air right away. So here I am, 17, 18 years old. I'm on the air on this 50,000-watt radio station in St. Louis having no clue what I'm doing, but I was covering the Cardinals at the time, covering the Rams at the time, covering the Blues, made a lot of connections and worked really hard when I was in college. And I don't know when the switch flipped, but at some point between high school and college, I just went all in on it. And I said, you know what? I got four years to put myself in the very best position to succeed when I leave college. And I built a great resume and a demo tape and I did a million different things and met a lot of different people. Now what I didn't know, Logan, was everybody else around the country was doing the same thing. I was in this small window of this university. I said, you know, I'm a sports guy here. I'm doing more than anybody else at this particular college, but it got to be my senior year and my eyes were wide open because I started to see guys at Tennessee doing the same thing. And the guys at Hofstra and Ball State and Mizzou and Syracuse and Northwestern and Morningside College schools, Morningside College. Yeah. Yes. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Your, your school, Logan, <laughs> of course. Um, and uh, I, I started to see that and I'm like, oh, crap. Now I'm competing with the rest of the country. And I tell young broadcasters this all the time. I'm like, I hope you realize this before I do. You're not competing with your particular school. That's great. But once you exit college, you're competing with the rest of the country and not just kids your age. You're competing with people that are older. Uh, when I was with the Gateway Grizzlies, we had a broadcast internship each year, and, and I got to hire some phenomenal young broadcasters. But each year, without fail, I would have 45, 50-year-old guys with families wanting to come to the St. Louis area to make a couple hundred bucks a month to be a broadcast intern there. So a lot of people want to do this. And at that time, towards the tail end of college, I just thought, oh, man, I'm going to get a job out of this. You know, there's no question. I'm, I'm the sports guy here. And then you send out 250 applications and you only get a couple responses and you realize, okay, this is going to be a little harder than I thought. And fortunately, um, I was willing to go anywhere, and I went to Fayetteville, North Carolina, just out of college to be the voice of the Fayetteville Swamp Dogs summer collegiate team, and that was probably the best decision I made because I needed to go somewhere and be a number one and get those reps and really find my voice, develop my style, and, and get that tape to be in position to, to get a pro ball job. So you graduated in 2010, and you talked about sending out lots of demos. That was kind of right in that little sweet spot where – People stopped sending tapes and CDs and DVDs, and everything started going digital. Do you remember sending physical CDs through, like, FedEx? Absolutely. Yeah, I I was building CDs and sending them out when I was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, actually. Um, And then I think a year later, Logan, is when 
things started to go a little more digital. And I feel like I was a little bit ahead of the times because I built my personal website in 2011. And I said, I need to find a way to get everything in front of somebody, my resume, my demo, my experience, my about me, the whole nine yards. So I built my personal website in 2011. um, and, And I've been using that ever since. And I still get a lot of folks, not just young broadcasters that reach out to me and they're looking to build a website asking me where I built it, how easy it was, and, you know, what did I put on there initially and, and all those types of things. And I think that's essential nowadays for, for broadcasters. If you want to send your work out, have a website. It's not hard to do. It's not all that expensive to do and send your stuff out that way. So I did that in 2011, but that first summer out of college, yeah, I remember doing some CDs and sending out resumes uh, that I printed out and sending those out in envelopes. And I'll be honest, Logan, I remember being in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I was getting rejection letters and emails for jobs that I don't even think I applied for. Like it, it got to that point where I was sending out so many that I just felt like I was getting rejection letters to places I wasn't even sending stuff to. And a cool story behind that is I really wanted to work in athletics. Um, I did the pro ball route initially and I liked it, but I knew I probably wasn't going to do it for a long time. So right out of college, I knew I wanted to work in college athletics and I was sending stuff out to all these universities. And that was my first interaction with Tom Bowman, who runs the uh, broadcasting department at Learfield because Tom reached out to me and said, Hey man, uh, you, you don't need to send it to all these schools. We have 130 of them, and these people are just flooding me with your emails. <laughs> just send me your stuff, and if something opens up at 130 of our schools, I'll contact you. And that was my first interaction with Tom Bowman, and now I know Tom very well because I work for Learfield, and it's funny how that worked out, uh, but I didn't know what Learfield was at the time, and I didn't understand that schools had multimedia rights and I was just happy to get a couple of responses here and there. I didn't get a ton. Um, and I had some opportunities right out of college and then right out of Fayetteville as well. But I had a really good opportunity to go back to home and everything works out in the end. Um, I was named the voice of the gateway Grizzlies a couple months out of college after I left Fayetteville. And then I put together a, a nice uh, set of schools that I was calling games for about four schools in St. Louis. And I did that for four years, uh, pretty much right out of college. So the key to getting Tom Bowman's attention is to send emails to 130 different schools and having them all forward them to the point where he gets tired of them. We now know the key. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. And at the time it was around that number. And I think now it's even more schools. So I learned my lesson after that, Logan, and, and I started to get on the uh, Learfield website and figure out, okay, who do they have at the time? Who does ISP have? I think ISP Sports was still around then, and there were a couple other multimedia rights companies. I would not recommend it, but it's been done by me before. So how did you eventually get the break that led you to New Mexico State? Yeah, so I uh, I spent four years in St. Louis um, calling games for the Gateway Grizzlies, and I, I couldn't I've had a better four years. I loved it. I was 20 minutes from home. Uh, I have family and friends at games. And then I was calling games for four different universities in St. Louis, a couple of D1s, a D2, a D3, and everything was great, but I, I wanted to do television. And it's hard to break into because I wasn't looking to be a sports anchor. I wanted to do play-by-play. And there just weren't TV reps in St. Louis, and, and I could see that. I was like, I'm not going to get any reps here. I would scour STAA. I would ask people that I knew in the industry, do you know of any television opportunities in play-by-play? And a lot of the higher-up folks around the country at the network level would tell me, hey, man, you need to go somewhere and get reps. You're not going straight to the network level. And it's really hard to find a job doing TV play-by-play. There's just not a lot of opportunities at the time because that was pre-ESPN+. And a lot of folks weren't really streaming games back then. The opportunity with New Mexico State actually came open after my second year with the Grizzlies, and I went after it, and I interviewed, and I finished runner-up. Two years later, uh, Jay Sanderson was the broadcaster um, at New Mexico State. He got the job over me, and Jay went to be the radio voice at Montana State. So Jay left, and they called me and said, hey, are you interested in this again? 
And quite frankly, I was still a little irritated. I did not get the job two years prior, but I said, you know what? It, it is what it is. Maybe this is, maybe this is the time that I get it. Maybe this is the right time for me. And I get the job the second time around. And the reason why it was so attractive was not only was I going to get TV play-by-play reps, but I was going to get exposure. Um, at the time, it was Fox Sports Arizona, and um, we were on Fox Sports Arizona, Fox Sports Southwest, Fox Sports Oklahoma, and we're on regional cable over here on the CW and Comcast and those types of things. So I said, exposure-wise, this couldn't be any better. Now, what I didn't know is, I mean, I was going to have to really work at it. Uh, radio play-by-play and TV play-by-play, as you know, Logan, are very, very different. And it was a hard learning curve for me early. I would send my tapes out and folks would constantly say, you're talking too much. You're talking too much. You're describing too much. You need to get the TV style down. And uh, to this day, I'm still working at it. Um, but I know I'm a hundred times better than I was when I got the job back then. And I have a really good situation now where I get to bounce back and forth and do radio and then do TV. And last weekend, for example, one night I'm doing radio play-by-play for baseball. The next night I'm doing TV in our TV package. And it's challenging. It's hard going back and forth, but I feel like it makes me a better broadcaster because I can differentiate now and, and do a better job of, of calling for that particular medium. What are the keys to moving back and forth between the two to you? Have a good mindset going into the game. Mindset is the biggest thing for me, Logan. I really focus during the day for that particular medium. Um, so it, it is in the back of my mind going into the broadcast, okay, we need to describe tonight everything that we see, or we need to pull back. We got an analyst tonight on TV. We need to pull back and make the analyst the star of the show. And it's hard. It, it, it's really, really hard. Um, I won't sugarcoat it, but um, it, it's a mindset deal for me. I mean, I, I, I go into the broadcast really having a good mindset. So then during the course of the game, the three hours that I'm on the air, I'm not really thinking about it. But it, it, it's really hard to do. And um, I also bounce back sports. And you just you have to focus on the task at hand. And I do these play-by-play thesaurus sheets, Logan, that I look at all the time. And I know uh, the great John Chelesnick has posted them on the SQAA website. And I have play-by-play thesaurus sheets for every single sport. And especially when I'm going back and forth, sport to sport, I will get a refresher multiple times the night before I do a game and the day of just to make sure my terminology is in a good spot going into it. And I'm not thinking too much, and it's just kind of rapid for me. And I use those play-by-play thesaurus sheets uh, religiously. You mentioned getting into a mindset. Specifically, like what kind of mindset are you trying to get into? And you said it's kind of hard. Uh, what is the challenge about getting into the mindset you're trying to get into? Well, I think part of it, too, and I'm big on note cards. So I'll have a note card in front of me, for example, for baseball radio games where I have like six different notes that I want to focus on. So, for example, if I'm doing baseball radio play-by-play, I will have inning score as no car number one, describe jerseys, atmosphere, weather, that kind of stuff as number two. Number three, I will have give score and inning every new batter. So that's my thing with baseball uh, for a little baseball play-by-play behind the scenes. Every single time they change a batter, I'm giving a score if I'm doing the game on radio without question. And I'm trying to give it more than that, but, Every time the batter changes, I'm given a score. Um, I will have written down on my note card, right, right, left, left, constantly, right-hander versus left-hander, those types of things. Um, and then I will have another note that says describe in all caps and, um, you know, highlighted in the whole nine yards, just making sure that I'm describing. So then if I just glance down at it during an at-bat or during a commercial break, I'm reminding myself, okay, this is this is our focus right here. Get in that mindset that you're describing everything you possibly see. And, and I just try to make sure that I'm locked in going into the game. Try to call, you know, this might sound stupid, but I'm sure a lot of us do it. Try to call a game in your head a little bit and not a full game, but maybe, you know, get your mind right going into it. Like during batting practice, as you're seeing guys hitting out there, okay, you know, he just lined it out to left field, okay, you know, shoots it out to left field, punches it out to left field. Uh, pokes it out to left field or, you know, a uh, shallow ball hit out to center. Okay, he 
lofted out to center or he blooped it out to center, flared it out to center. Just try to get terminology down as well, because when you're doing on a radio, you are the eyes and the ears of the person listening to the game. And with TV, you're just trying to pull back as much as you can and be relaxed, be comfortable. I think that's uh, over time been really big for me as I'm way more relaxed and way more comfortable now. And that goes back to me earlier talking about not taking this so serious. It's a job, yes, and we're trying to do our very, very best, no question, but this is not brain surgery. This is not life or death. This is a game people are listening or watching because they enjoy sports or they enjoy the team that you're covering. Uh, So realize that you can have some fun with this, and it doesn't have to be serious 24-7. How much do you balance with, obviously in radio where you have to describe everything you know the different verbiage really really important on the tv side of things and in in my head i'm thinking of the streaming side which without going too deep i consider a little bit of a hybrid of tv and radio because most people are watching on phones and i do a little more description than i would do on a normal tv broadcast but how important is it to vary the vocab when in the situation where you're already talking less? That's hard. Uh, That's a good question, Logan. And I actually had a discussion about webcasts and um, describing stuff last night with a young broadcaster. And I was telling him, I said, are are you doing radio style for this or are you doing TV style? And he said, I'm doing a hybrid. And I said, if it's a a one-camera webcast, I always go radio style with it Um, because you don't know what they can and what they can't see. It's really hard to see a lot of stuff with just one camera up high. Um, but as far as television and, and trying to use the terminology but not describe too much, I get that. Uh, I think it's just trying to lay out as much as possible. So you don't have to say swing or swung on. If, if I'm doing a game on radio, I'm probably going to say that pretty often. Not every single time, but that's kind of how you start the ball being put in play. Well, if they're watching it on TV, you don't have to say swing or swung. You get to say grounder to third, Jones gathers to first, two gone. And that's one of the hardest things for us as broadcasters, economy of words, taking out words. I, I'm still working on that to this day, and I'll, I'll single out one person that I think is one of the best right now at this, and, and also when I listened to his tapes in college, I was amazed. Connor Onion, who does some network games now, it, he, he was the very best I heard in college at Economy of Words. He was doing a game on radio basketball one time, and I, I he had me listen to his tape, and I was like, dude, this is this is awesome. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to take some pointers on this because we're all trying to take out words. There's wasted words in all of our broadcasts, and you know we're trying to limit them as much as possible, even on radio. It's easier to do it on TV because you don't have to describe as much. But on radio, you know, you're, you're trying to describe as much as possible, but you can always take out some words. With, with reps, it, it gets better. Um, like I said, I'm way better now than I was when I got here because I've had a lot of reps. And part of that, too, Logan, is critiquing yourself. For young broadcasters out there listening and for broadcasters in general, because I know a lot of veterans do it, too, critique yourself constantly. I put my I put my uh, games on my phone and listen back to them all the time. I, I watch back pretty much the entire game for every game I do. Now, if you're in the heart of crossover season or something's going on where you got like 10 games in a couple of days, then maybe you can't. But later on, I'll get to it. Um, I critique everything I do, everything I do. And I still send out my tapes to broadcasters that I respect to see you know, what they think and, and where I need to improve. And am I missing something here? I, I feel like maybe I'm forcing this too much. Or did I take this to break well enough? And w- what do you have on this? And um, we're always trying to get better. And it all starts with critiquing ourselves. If you're not listening to your own tapes, you're missing out because you're not going to get any better. Um, so I, I, I try to do that as much as possible and then pinpoint things um, that I did well or pinpoint things that I didn't do well and I'm going to try to work on it for the next broadcast. Poking around on your website, I was able to – I looked at your resume and some of your references, and I'm assuming mentors are you know some pretty big names in the business, retired broadcasters like 
uh, Bill Brown from the Astros and Mark Zumoff from the 76ers. And uh, you grew up in St. Louis, so there's no natural geographical uh, connection between those guys. Uh, what is the key to you to finding mentors at that level to help you improve and finding those references? Yeah, good point. Uh, reaching out to people, Logan, trying to – find an email address. I think early on, I was able to, to swoop a couple emails off LinkedIn. I think that was my game plan when I was in college and coming out of college. And I was one of those young broadcasters who just wasn't afraid to send my stuff to anybody and everybody. And I got some tough critiques early on. Uh, when I was 21, 22 years old to getting started, uh, there were some critiques where, you know, I was almost in tears because I'm like, man, if, if he's saying this, how am I ever going to get to the level I want to get to? Um, but sometimes those critiques are, are the best when they're really hard on you early on and they're telling you, you need to do this better to get to a higher level. Um, and then you have guys that are very, very encouraging. Uh, Mark Zumoff is, is a good example of that. Uh, Joel Myers, who is the voice of the Pelicans on television, is phenomenal to me. Joel's been great. And Joel's a St. Louis native, so I think there's a natural connection there. And um, when I was – Early on in my career, I would try to reach out to broadcasters and then see if I could meet them in the booth and potentially sit up there. So I developed a relationship early on with Bob Carpenter, and I sat in uh, the Bush Stadium booth um, when he came there with the Nationals when I was early in my career. Did the same with uh, Jerry Howarth, the former voice of the, of the Blue Jays. And then Dwayne Statz, uh, the longtime voice of the Rays, the Hall of Famer, I mean, he's been great to me from day one when I was in college because Dwayne Satz went to the same school I did. Um, Dwayne went to SIU Edwardsville back in the uh, 70s, I believe it was. So Dwayne's been great to me. And, you know, it's um, it's building connections early on. Uh, cool story on one of the guys that I've, that I've really built a good relationship with. Randy Lee's the voice of Western Kentucky. And when I was in college, Logan, Western Kentucky was simulcasting their games on Fox College Sports. So it was their radio call on TV with Randy Lee. And I stumbled across a Western Kentucky game when I was a junior in college. And I was fascinated by how good Randy Lee was and his description. We talk about describing things and varying your vocabulary. And Randy was phenomenal. I didn't know Randy Lee, but I dug up his email address after watching a couple of those broadcasts. And I emailed him and basically said, I am blown away at, how talented you are and how descriptive you are. I'm watching your games on Fox College Sports, and I can see how you're calling it on radio because it's the TV feed. And Randy got back to me. We developed a relationship. I continue to watch those games. I would send him my takes, and he would give feedback, and we chat every now and then. And when I got the job here with NM State, Randy Lee was one of my references, and the folks here told me, they said, hey, a big reason why you got it is because Randy Lee was raving about you. And Logan, I had never met Randy Lee in person at that point. Our relationship was strictly email, a couple phone calls. That was it. But I asked him if I could put him down as a reference. He let me. They called him. He talked me up, and I got the job. And a big reason why was Randy. And I did not meet Randy until a couple of years ago, a couple of years after I got the job um, here. So, you never know where those connections can lead, um, and you'd be surprised, too. I tell young broadcasters this a lot. You'd be surprised at how many high-level broadcasters will be willing to help a younger person because they were helped by somebody as well. Um, I had so many people help me early on. The guys I mentioned, uh, Joe Pott, who's the voice of SIUE right now, he was my biggest mentor early, and Joe and I are still very close to this day. So I could go on and on about people that helped me. So, you know, this is a, this is a, um, a message to all young broadcasters. If you want to reach out to me and send me your stuff, I will listen a hundred percent because I had so many people help me early on. And, and I know what it was like to have somebody who's been in the business for a couple of years, listen to your tape and give you just a little bit of advice. It doesn't have to be a lot, maybe a tip or two here and there to help you advance in your career. So you're at a point in your career where I think you're a couple years younger than me, and you have 
you know, you've achieved a high level of success. You've gotten to the NCAA Division One level, and you've gotten some of the uh, regional network type stuff. And you're at a point where you've achieved great success, but the next linear step is is a tough one to make, and a lot of people have trouble with that. Uh, so I guess I wanted to say, what does success mean to you, and what is your uh, your plan, or what is your eventual goal at this point in your career? As I would say, a young veteran. You've been around a while, but still <laughs> relatively young. I appreciate that, Logan. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hard step to make, and that's one that I don't want to say I've struggled with um, trying to figure out, but it's been tough to try to figure out what is next um, when you're in my current position. Um, and I've had, to be quite frank, two really close calls. I finished runner-up for two particular jobs that were great jobs, but there's really good broadcasters out there, and there's folks that are a better fit at particular positions. And for me, my goal has always been just to do games at the highest level. I I just want to do the biggest games that mean the most at the highest level. Early on, my goal, Logan, was I want to be the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals when I get older. And then that was my dream job. You know, people would always ask you, what's your dream job? I want to be the voice of the Cardinals. I don't know when it switched, but at some point early on in my career, I figured out, you know what? You can't pick where you go. Those jobs just don't always open. Mike Shannon just retired from the Cardinals and had been there for, I don't know, 40-plus years in the booth. And Dan McLaughlin's their TV voice, and he's phenomenal. He's been there for like 23, 24 years. So those jobs are coveted. They don't just open. You can't pick where you go. Over time, I've developed this comfortable factor where this isn't everything I have. And I think all of us get to that point where you get married, you have kids, or you know, something along those lines where there's important things outside of broadcasting. And I was that guy for the first, I don't know, Logan, five or six years in my career where it was broadcast, broadcast, broadcast. I mean, everything I thought about and I did was play by play. If I wasn't calling a game, I was listening to one of my games. I was listening to somebody else's games. That's all I was doing. And I got married last summer, um, so I have a wife now, and, um, you know, I like to enjoy time with her, and it's not just laser-focused on this particular career. Now, don't get me wrong, I still work my tail off, but um, there's more important things, right? And, I mean, happiness comes from a number of different avenues. It's not just the play-by-play part of it, and we all do that early on in our career. We get tied up in in the play-by-play, and in our jobs and what's the next step going to be. And all you think about is, okay, this guy just did that. How am I going to get to that spot? If he jumped there and it took him two years, it should only take me two years, right? Well, you can't compare two careers. Everybody's career is different. Uh, My career, my life has taken me here and whatever happens next, um, I'm just blessed to be doing games, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I love what I do and I'm just blessed to be doing games because this is, a dream come true for me. I just wanted to do games when I was a kid. Literally, I just wanted to be on a microphone doing games, and I get to do TV. My parents get to watch me in St. Louis. My sister and my brother-in-law and my niece and my nephew get to watch me in St. Louis. With technology nowadays, Logan, you can be anywhere, and they can see you or listen to you. So to me, that's pretty cool. I can be this far away from them, and they can still watch and listen to my games. So one of the random things when I did my research, just uh, reading the Wikipedia about Las Cruces, it says that the year I think that you moved there was the last year that they had maybe the coolest festival that I've ever seen. It was an enchilada festival where they made the like world's largest enchilada somehow. And I was just wondering if you were ever able to take part in that or if it's just not, a bogus thing that's on Wikipedia. No, I, I, I did not uh, take part in that. I, I will tell you this, because um, you bring up enchiladas. Uh, the food here is a little different than the food where I come from. I come from the Midwest, so uh, the Mexican food here took me a little while to get used to. And, um, you know, when my family comes and visits, and my wife and I got married here last summer, and we had a lot of family and friends here, and uh, – the people love the food. They love the people. It's a beautiful part of the country. It really is. Um, you know, we got Tucson about 
three and a half hours away. Phoenix is right down the road for the most part as well. So, um, but the Enchilada Festival, Logan, I, I did not take part in. I think, I think that was the uh, the time when I was just laser focused on play by play. To be honest with you. All right. Can I tell you my red hot food take that you're not going to like? Don't say Taco Bell is better than Mexican food here. No, no, no. Don't say that. St. Louis style pizza is bad. I hate Provel cheese. Ooh, that's a hot take. I uh, <laughs> I just booked a um, I booked a flight home for gosh uh, early May, Logan, and, uh, and and our family group text message. I said to my sister and my mom and my dad, I said Emos. Okay, so Emos Pizza is the St. Louis style pizza you're talking about, and I said when I'm there, we're getting Emos. So. Uh, I, I, I've heard that before from people. The outsiders don't love it, but if you're from St. Louis, you don't mess with the uh, St. Louis style pizza, and you, and you don't mess with the uh, toasted wrap either. What is your broadcast horror story that that you want to share, or or a couple if you have them? Oh gosh, I, I should have known this was coming. I've heard you ask this question on the other podcast. Um, oh boy, uh, there were a lot in independent ball. Uh, the equipment not working is always a fear. I still have nightmares about that. Um, man, broadcast horror story. I'll be honest. I, I think my first television broadcast here that I did, that was two hours of me being scared to death, just afraid I was going to mess up. So uh, that's not uh, that's not a horror story, but I don't know, Logan. That's That's a tough question. I, I spent four years doing independent ball, so there were times when, um, you know, stuff wasn't stuff wasn't working. So, I mean, I, I could I could fill a book with with games that um, we had equipment issues, but you always find a way to get on the air. That was that was the main goal. I've never had a broadcast that I did not get on the air, and that's maybe my biggest achievement in this business. What is uh, the weirdest broadcast location you had in independent ball? Uh, independent ball, believe it or not. I wouldn't say there was anything crazy, but I did Division Two baseball at McKendry University, and we called the games on the roof of the basketball gym. <laughs> um, and I don't like heights, so I had to climb up there with all my stuff, and that was the worst part of my day in the part that I feared every single time I went there to do a McKendry game. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was probably the weirdest broadcast location um, and then when I was in Fayetteville, uh, there were a couple of teams in the league where they had you calling games from beyond the center field fence. So if you're calling the game in the opposite direction, it's, it's a little challenging, and you really have to have a good mindset going into the game. St. Louis has a phenomenal history with some really, really great broadcasters uh, either being from there or coming through there at some point. Who are the people that you love to listen to growing up? I, I was now. a big Jack Buck fan growing up, a uh, huge Jack Buck fan. Um, my dad uh, loved Jack Buck, and so we listened to Jack Buck early on in my my livelihood, not my career necessarily, because Jack was done doing it in the early 2000s. But um, Jack, Dan McLaughlin, I think, does a great job with um, with the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Ramsey's done St. Louis University for a long time, and I listened a lot to Bob um, doing basketball when I was growing up, and then Joe Pott, who is the uh, voice of SIU Edwardsville and does pre and post for the St. Louis Cardinals, Joe taught me how to call baseball. I was a broadcast intern under Joe with the Gateway Grizzlies my junior year of college, and I remember sitting there, Logan, as the broadcast intern, and this was my first taste of baseball play-by-play, like actually doing it. And I would watch Joe weave in nuggets and stories and statistics and uh, at one point, I just kind of thought to myself, there's no way I can do this. Um, there's no way. He, he just, he was flawless. And, um, to this day, he's one, he's one of the very best calling baseball, um, that, that I've ever listened to. And, and he taught me a lot early on. And a lot of what I do to this day, even the scorebook I use is kind of based off the scorebook that he had back then that, that he helped me get. So, uh, a lot of what I do is, is, is from him. Have we, what is something we should talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Oh boy. Uh, I don't know, but you know, I, I think about this a lot more now, Logan. Um, 
Because it's tough when you move away and you're not around family. And so many of us um, don't get to broadcast in our hometown or our home area. But, um, you know, I, I've told a lot of people recently, like, support in this business means a lot. Like, if you have a supportive wife or a supportive family, parents, if you're lucky to still have your parents around or a brother, a sister, um, that's been probably the most important thing in my career. People say, well, you've gone a couple of different places. You literally got in your car and drove across the country. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I had supported people back home and I knew people were watching. I knew people were rooting for me. I knew people were listening. So um, that's the thing that I think I think about more than I did early on in my career is I have a supportive wife who understands what I do and, and really gets it and actually enjoys it and loves sports. And that makes it easier. And my parents are you know, two of my biggest fans and my sister and my brother-in-law. And then I have a niece and a nephew who watch all the games and just point at the TV and say, Uncle A's on the TV. So uh, the support in, um, in, in this business, you can't get through this business and grind through it if you don't have people supporting you. Because at times it can be tough. I mean, there's – we all have it, right? We all have moments where we're like, man, this is this is getting hard. Um, you know, crossover season is probably the, the most notable or – you're frustrated about a broadcast and you need people to help you get through and you need people rooting you on. And um, that's a big thing for me. Is there a specific example where, you know, that support system came through for you during a tough time you'd want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I, I think early on out here, I mean, there were times my first couple of years before I met my wife, Ashley, and I'm like, was this the right decision? You know, should I have moved across the country by myself to do this? Um, and I think all of us want something to happen right away, right? I mean, I came out here thinking I'll be out here for a year or two and somebody will come calling, right? I mean, that's that's the hard part of this is, um, you know, there, there's steps you have to take and levels that you get to. And there's a lot of people competing to get to that next level as well. And you're not just competing with people your age. You're competing with the rest of the country. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in the grind of independent baseball too, Logan, I mean, that's that's a grind. Um, I was fortunate to work for a really good organization um, with the Gateway Grizzlies, but I did four years of that. Um, and then it just got to the point where I was like, I really want to try TV. And, and the timing was perfect uh, when I got this particular job. But um, I think there's tons of moments, um, nothing notable, you know, but there's tons of moments where it gets tough. And, um, you know, we all get frustrated at points, right? I mean, you know, uh, you wonder, well, why didn't I get this opportunity? And, um, you know, when you, when you become a finalist for jobs and, uh, you're doing in-person interviews and that kind of stuff and you don't get it, th- those times are really tough. And, and, and sometimes when they can't give you an answer on why you didn't get it, you know, well, th- this person's the better fit. That's tough. Uh, I mean, it's just like what, the worst you know, what answer in the world. To, what else do you need to do to, to, you know, what else do you need to do to get it? One of the things that nobody ever talks about as someone who I never moved all the way across the country, but I've made some moves by myself as a adult man, like just making friends with other dudes or people that you don't know. You can't just, uh, you know, you don't have the dorm room facility to just walk up and down and say hi. It's not always an easy thing to, to get that, uh, to have a good social life as a broadcaster uh, when you're in that position, especially with the demanding schedule? Yeah, it's tough. My best friends probably since I left college, because college you meet a lot of people, and, of course, I have three or four really close friends that I've been close with since I've been growing up. And post-college, I would have to say, Logan, my, my best friends are the people that I've worked with. Um, you know, you get really close in athletics, uh, especially here, here in college athletics where you're with these people so often. Um, and my best friends now are the, the ones that I've worked with, the marketing people, the media relations people, uh, coaches that you become close with, uh, families of players that you get pretty close with, right? I mean, um, you know, they become family over time. And uh, funny story, I mean, I, I met my wife. Logan doing an interview. She was a college basketball coach and she got hired here and I interviewed her and that's how we met. So I I think that's what it was going to take as well is 
me, you know, interviewing her for me to, you know, find that person. But, you know, it's funny how it all worked out, but that's a story that I still tell all the time to this day is I met my wife through my (laughs) job and through her job. So um, it's interesting how that all works out, but yeah, it's hard to make friends. I mean, our spare time is, is minimal, right? I mean, a a lot of times if, if we have time off, um, we're probably going to try to spend it alone, just kind of decompressing or we're going to spend it preparing and you don't have the weekends off and the nights off like like so many other people do that work a nine-to-five job do you remember did you ask any legitimately hard questions when you interviewed your wife for the first time or was it basically just a softball pregame type of situation they were softball questions but there was a connection there it's funny how it worked um and, and it's it's cool because <clears throat> I, I write all my questions down, Logan, <clears throat> excuse me, on a note card, and, um, or at least write down bullet points. And I had this note card, and I thought I held on to it for a couple of years, and I may have, but I don't know where it went. <clears throat> well, last year, I go to my office one day, and right outside the door in my little cubby hole is the note card from my interview with my wife. And I don't know who dropped it off. I don't know how it got there. It was the weirdest thing. Nobody <laughs> ever said, hey, I dropped this off. I found it. I have no idea where it went. Uh, so, and this was like two months before our wedding. So I, I don't know, maybe there's a ghost somewhere. I don't know, but it was um, it was a little random. And um, so I, I do have that note card still. And they were the easiest questions ever. I'm, I'm a very easy interview. I just interviewed our... Uh, men's basketball head coach today, our new men's basketball head coach for a podcast. And he's like, man, those were, those, you set me up on a tee. I'm, I'm not, I'm not digging. I, I, I work for the, uh, for the athletics department technically. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not poking and prying too much. All right. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to come on the podcast. Adam Young, the director of broadcasting at New Mexico state in Las Cruces and, Adam, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, what would the best way to go about that be? Well, my personal website, it's adamyoungontheair.com. You can email me through there. I'm also on Twitter, at YoungPBP, play-by-play. Uh, I am on LinkedIn as well. I'm on Instagram, at YoungPBP. And then my email address you can use is YoungPBP, as in play-by-play, at gmail.com. And I'm serious when I say this, Logan. I said this earlier. I, I welcome all broadcasters to send me their stuff if they want to. And I might not get to it right away, but I'll get to it. I promise you. Um, I, I love critiquing tapes and talking shop with young broadcasters and just trying to help the next generation like so many people helped me when I was early on in my career. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember that Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of this show uh, by the methods of which most of them tell you at the end of the podcast. Uh, That was the case for Adam Young this week. And reach out to them to let them know how much you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson. And the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.